All right, everybody, talk about it outdoors live in the Wilson studio. We got a great lineup for you tonight. We're bringing on a local legend from right here in the state of Georgia. He'll come on in just a second. As always, I want to thank everybody for tuning in. Nick Wilson, Cody Watson, and we've got a special co-host with us here tonight, Derek Jardina, my cousin, Big D. He's going to come on and bring in some of the fishing topics for this special ghost. Y'all stay tuned. All right, everybody, thanks for tuning in, and right away we're going to get into this thing. So, as a young and avid outdoorsman growing up in North Georgia with a dad and uncle that swore by WSB Radio, Mr. Williams has been a part of my listening listening privilege for my entire life, and I am very proud and blessed to welcome him to our show. He is famed host of O'Neill Outside, which is aired on WSB as the number one live outdoor-based radio show for many years. Broadcast in 38 states, I'm sure the sentiment of hearing him talk fishing, hunting, and everything outdoors echoes in hearts just as mine all over our great country. Mr. Williams, welcome to Talk About It Outdoors. Well, thank you very much. Please call me O'Neill, and uh, I need to have you do my introductions now from now on. I didn't know I was that good. (laughs) Well, as, as I said in there, you know, from a very young man going to school or hunting or fishing or anything with my dad, it's been a great pleasure to listen to you on Saturday mornings. I've called in several times to talk to you on my way up to Lanier on Saturday mornings, and, and it's always been a lot of, lot of a privilege to hear you. Well, if you listen, you know, if you can't have fun going outside, squirrel hunting, fishing, uh, whatever, if you stay outside and out of in front of a computer and a cell phone, it will turn out well for you and you will learn things to do and, and things that can apply to your life the rest of your life. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Everything on the, everything on the computer is fleeting. It fades. And some of the best memories I know uh, of yours is, you know, going through the hunting and fishing and, and talking and telling stories just like you do on your Facebook lives, which are always a privilege to hear you tell those little stories. So, you know, take me into when did the first startup for your radio uh, uh, show begin? Uh, okay, the, that's, that's a good story because it, it, it demonstrates for people about not giving up. I knew, uh, as, as we all can admit right now, fishermen just can't stop talking. <laughs> yes, you know, sir. What, uh, when did you go last? Who did you go with? What did you use? What did you catch? When are you going to go again? What did you have on? Where did you, you know, you see what I mean? Hunters are not quite like that, but fishermen just cannot stop talking. So I, after the television show had been on the air for about 10 years, I decided, uh, you know, for goodness sakes, uh, there needs to be a radio show. For t- about fishing and outdoors yes sir and i tell and at the time this this would be 1991 at the time the two major am radio stations in atlanta of course was wsb and the second one was wgst everything else was fm and and whatever but those were the two major stations and i telephoned uh, to try to get an appointment to make a pitch. And uh, I guess it's a lesson in life, if you don't mind. Uh, if you don't return my call, it's not that you didn't return one call. It meant that you didn't return 20 calls. Yep. So I finally got an appointment at WGST, a fellow by the name, very receptive. 
he gave the start in radio to Clark Howard and uh, uh, Neil Bortz and the Garden. He, he was, you know, he was top notch. And he gave me an appointment. I went to see him. I pitched the show. I told him about my television show, and I pitched the show. I said, this cannot lose. This will work. He said, okay, well, let me check with my people around here, and uh, and I'll let you know. Uh, and all this time, I'm still tr- reaching out to WSB, which they never returned my call. <laughs> oh, goodness. So finally, uh, I, I go back to see him. He sits at his desk at WGST. He looks over his glasses, and he looks at me and says, we don't think it'll work. And I said, you know something? You're wrong. (laughs) It will work, and I'm going to give you a chance to change your mind. I'll be back in two weeks. (laughs) He he let me come back in two weeks. He sat behind the desk. He raised his arms in the air and said, I give up. I'll put you on at 6 o'clock on Sunday afternoon, which is awful. Right. And I, my wife and I drove downtown to WGST building there in Buckhead, and we were on the air for two hours, and we we made uh, we got a share of the sponsorship. We made $15 a week. For a uh, 6 we, o'clock show? <laughs> and how long was that show? Was it an hour? Uh, it was two hours. Two hours, okay. And, of course, WGST is one of those stations that at sundown, the – wattage goes down to like 500 watts <laughs> got to shut so i did not have an audience at right. all right so i had to call everybody i knew to call the show uh and uh that's the way it was and finally i asked wg i wasn't making any money 15 dollars a week my first sponsor was georgia power uh and i didn't know anybody there but they had a fisherman and he became a friend of mine later but uh, I made $15 a week, and I went to the station manager, and I said, why don't you let me sell the show? I can sell it, and I'll, I'll take my share. And he said, no, no, we can't let you out there representing WGST. We just can't do that. Subsequently, I got a call back from WSB, and then the rest is history. They finally and made WSB, time. <laughs> the WSB let me sell the ad. Wow. And so, hell, I sold it out. <laughs> Absolutely. So, and, and you know, and at that point, like you said, that was, a, a, I guess, a, a life lesson in not taking no for an answer or not turning down an opportunity. Absolutely. Absolutely. I would not accept no. It, I am convinced 100% it'll work. I mean, fishing is the number one sport-involved activity among men in the world. So, it had to work. It could not fail. And I went out there and I started calling on people, and everybody said yes. <laughs> well, well, there's a sold out ever since. There's a little segment we do on our show, um, O'Neill, mm-hmm. called um, "Shooting You Straight," where we ask our listeners to to submit some questions to us. And when we put your name out there, it was it was amazing the feedback and the phone calls that we got that we were going to be privileged enough to get to speak with you tonight from some of our um, older friends and you know our parents and stuff. They're like, "O'Neill, I've been listening to him for a long time." 
And through those questions, we wanted to move into that segment of our show. And, okay. and Cody Watson, he's going to ask those questions, and uh, he's going to tell you who they're from. And, and you know, you may recognize some names that he's got on there, judging from the questions that were asked. Okay, good deal. Let's go for it. So the the first question was posed by um, – it's more of a – just wanting your take on it. Scott O'Brien had asked – he he wanted to know about the time uh, – that uh, Milton Crabapple went noodling for snapping turtles, if you could talk about that a little bit. Oh, yeah. As a matter of fact, uh, it's funny that that's your first question because from time to time, uh, O'Neill Outside versus being a live television, a live radio program on WSB, we're starting to do a co- uh, recordings. So we will record a show with a special guest. Okay. And instead of instead of having to get up at two thirty in the morning on Saturday morning for me to do, do the show from here at my home up in the mountains, we'll do a recording. And yes. today's recording today's recording was with Milton Crabapple. Oh, that's definitely. <laughs> uh, and and we talked extensively. Uh, he call he, he doesn't call it noodling. He calls it grabbling. Grabbling for snapping turtles. Okay. And yes, I did a couple of shows with him, and we talked extensively about that today. That is awesome. So we had another listener of ours um, named Tony. He wanted to know how Mrs. Williams was doing. He's heard you talk a lot on the show over the years, and he wanted to know how she was doing. She's just doing wonderfully. She just uh, We're on different time schedules. Gail, Gail, of course, we got we started dating 58 years ago. We were 18 years old, uh, and I was at Emory. We went to high school together, but we were not we were acquaintances, but we were not friends in high school. And we started dating when I was uh, after my freshman year at Emory. Uh, and so we got married in 1965 when I graduated from Emory, and so we've had been had our 50th wedding anniversary. So in any case, to answer your question, Gail is a night person. I'm a morning person. So for me to get up and do the radio show uh, beginning at 4 a.m., while it's not fabulous, it, it's easier for me to do because she stays up to 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning anyway. I know so we're just... I noticed O'Neill last night on the Facebook Live. She keeps you pretty grounded on there. Oh, oh yes, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. I couldn't. Uh, you know, we're here in the mountains, close to Amicalola Falls State Park. Uh, you can't even see another house from the. We we are our little house is next to the Dawson Forest. Okay, okay. We're not too far and, from uh, you. There's, yeah, there's nobody here. Okay, so we enjoy it very, very much, and thank goodness we are. We are still married and still friends. That's good. We're not too far from you. We're over here in North Cherokee, so we're actually not too okay, far away yeah, from you. Sure. Yeah, sure. So, um, so going into this time of year, I guess I mean you're looking. Gosh, they they get mad at me when I talk about turkey season too early, um, but we'll get on to fishing in just a second. What what's your intake on the new or your insider opinion on the new turkey changes for Georgia coming up? Okay, there's a simple way for me to put that. Whatever the Department of Natural Resources says, that's what I do. There you go. <laughs> Whatever they say, that's what I adhere to. Right. If they change the limit, raise the limit, reduce the limit, advise on the limit, if they whatever they do, 
it's scientific. So I will always go with the DNR. Right. Uh, this is you, you don't decide limit and and wildlife activity and numbers of deer and numbers of turkey by standing around a campfire. That's true, hundred percent. And and our, one of our previous guests, um, the state wildlife bi- biologist uh, Charlie Kilmaster came on and he gave some of that scientific feedback to just exactly what you described. People may not understand and agree with it, but they better adhere to it. You bet. Well, you know, one of the great lessons, uh, pardon me, I, I, I won't get completely off subject, but permit me a moment. One of the terrific lessons for a youngster is the outdoors and his adherence to the rules. Yes, there sir. is no man in uh, a black and white striped shirt to throw a flag on you. There's no one standing behind you to call for a ball or strike or call you safe or out. You are on your own. It's, that is absolutely 100% correct. It's probably one of the only sports out there being in the outdoors where you are your own judge, jury, and senator. So. A- absolutely. Absolutely. And it's a fabulous lesson. For the rest of your life, uh, O'Neill. Let's back back up. I kind of got ahead of what we was kind of going for. Let's back back up. When did you when did you start getting into outdoors, as far as hunting and fishing? At what age and who got you into it? Oh my goodness! Uh, I, I lived in the DeKalb County area, out uh, well Glenwood Hills, and uh, in that territory in DeKalb County. And I was always a fisherman. I was. Uh, I can remember. Uh, I can remember being, uh, uh, well, from six or seven years old, visiting with my cousins in the mountains of North Georgia. We went fishing every day. We milked the cows and swapped the hogs and fed the chickens, and then we got our cane poles, and we went to the Tallulah River and went fishing. I mean, that was at eight, nine, ten, eleven years old. And when I was 11, when I moved to DeKalb County and went to a little resort called Misty Waters, it was a pool, you know, a neighborhood pool, and they had a lake next to it. And I can remember being 12 years old, and you paid a dollar to go fishing. And I can remember I, I one day I got into a brim bed. I caught over 50 brim out of that bed that day. And I can remember grown men coming up to a 12-year-old saying, uh, son, what is it you're doing there? <laughs> do you mind me fishing next to you well come on sure there's plenty of them <laughs> so that kind of started so your i've guidance. always done that uh, i've always been a fisherman more than a hunter i started deer hunting in about 1960 i wasn't raised uh, in the outdoors my dad was not uh an outdoorsman my my father was a fighter pilot uh, in world war ii and he, he was 21 years old, and he died uh, in a crash uh, when I was six weeks old. My mother remarried when I was three, but that he was a wonderful man, and he was a, a, a radio operator on a B-29, and he had 25 missions over Japan. But he was not an outdoorsman. But I had a, I had a good friend, his name was Jeff Hobbins, and his dad used to take me fishing with them. So that's so re- always grateful for that. Yeah, and that's awesome that he got you into the outdoors. And you know, uh, you know, 
thankful to your to your father and you and you your stepfather um for for their service and in, in oh the yeah they're heroes yes sir absolutely and that's that's great of you to share with us i appreciate that very much you bet so once you got into the outdoors and you know you went through your 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 time at emory um you you, you got out and you got back to north georgia did you move back to north georgia from decab at that point once uh you and you and miss gail had gotten married no, we got married and lived in, De- in what we, I would call uh, Decatur. Okay. And uh, I went to work for in the corporate world. Gail was a uh, physician's assistant or a nurse, nurse, if you will, worked in the doctor's office. And we lived in an apartment there in Decatur. And we, I made the decision, uh, uh, I, I graduated from memory when I was 21. Uh, and in short order, I was asked to go to, uh, to transfer with a company to Knoxville, Tennessee. Uh, and, but I had made the decision that family was more important. So I wanted to raise my children. We wanted to raise our children with their grandparents close by. We wanted our grandparents to grow old with their grandchildren nearby. So I refused transfers in the corporate world uh, to Charlotte, Jacksonville, Dallas, Tampa, Chicago, and everywhere. So I always refuse to transfer. So that's the reason I've always lived here locally. And we didn't move to the North Georgia mountains. I bought a place here uh, 20 years ago, but I actually only moved here six years ago. Okay. O'Neill, going going back just a little bit there, talking about Emory and stuff. Before we get back into outdoors, weren't weren't you a pretty good ball player and and um, a, a lifter? Uh, yeah, uh, in high school, uh, in high school, I was. Well, let's put it this way: we had a really good baseball team. I heard that. Uh, and at that that year uh, in nineteen sixty one, that was that was like five A is now. Uh, it was a big, you know, we only like the senior class was like 150 people, but nevertheless, at that point in time, we were a class three or triple A school and we had a really good baseball team. As a matter of fact, uh, you know, the coaches didn't do anything for us. It just so happened that a bunch of sluggers always ended up, they ended up on the same team at the same age. And we had a fabulous baseball team, and and I was very, very fortunate to have a fabulous season in the middle of my senior season in high school. Pardon me for bragging, boys. (laughs) You're fine. uh, In the the middle, well, let's let's see, the the senior season of baseball, uh, when I was in high school, 60% of the season was gone, and I was batting 818. (laughs) That's phenomenal. Uh, And... I ended up, I was all-state baseball player. My final year of baseball, my, my career year, pardon me, my career average for high school was 567. Wow. <laughs> and I don't, I don't know that, I don't think that's ever been broken. I think probably records are, are you know, kind of flighty, but I don't think that's ever been broken. I still think that's a record for Georgia high school baseball. That's awesome. Yeah, from well, what, I, you know, I, I got a few C and I singles. 
<laughs> from going you know and you went into that and and i believe in was it the year 1987 you finished uh was it second or third in mr olympia did i read that correctly o'neill no 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 it would be great if that were the case but no it wasn't anywhere that near that big oh, okay. back then there was the atlanta bodybuilding championship okay that's like and mr was- olympia to a georgia boy though <laughs> You bet. Uh, and uh, I finished, uh, but I was 30. Well, how old was that? 80, I was 35, 43 years old. 43, yep. I was 43 years old, and I finished third. Wow. <laughs> 43 so, uh, years old. Was, it, it, was a, it was a major sacrifice, I can assure you. I lost uh, 40 pounds. Uh, and I was, believe me, I was not fat to begin with. <laughs> I wouldn't do it again. I can tell you that. <laughs> so let's go in. I guarantee you it was, but you know, the accomplishments you made on the baseball field, those records still stand today. I was doing some reading on that. And then, you know, from everybody that I could, or everything I could read, they're definitely still standing there. And that was something I had never known about you, you know, cause you've, you're not a you're not a boastful man, which is something that has always been your humble approach to a lot of the things you did that I think resonated with a lot of people and, and you know, it's definitely something for the youngsters today. I wish there was more people like you on the radio and television and stuff. It would definitely uh definitely spawn well with everyone. Well, you're very, very kind. I appreciate the kind comment. So, um I'm gonna kick it over to my to my cousin Derek. He's got a couple of fishing questions for you. He's kind of a our, our okay, residential fishing it. expert here, so Okay, I love fishing. I, I love fishing questions because you get to lie like anything. <laughs> That's right. Uh, how you doing this evening? You doing good? Wonderful. I'm having my first bourbon of the evening. Hey. That's right. And I've got uh, Gail's cooking pork chops upstairs. Uh, dinner will be in about an hour, or hour and a half, so uh, we're good. Good. That's good. Um, it's an honor to talk to you tonight. Um, I've listened to you, like my cousin said, going to Lake Lanier in the mornings just because it's an hour away and you got to get up extra early. I mean, we're 20 minutes from Lake Altoona, but, you know, I get up and listen to you when I'm heading over there. And, you know, I've always loved the show. The Medal of Honor at the end is great. Um, Isn't that great? It now, is. It, 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 pardon me for interrupting, and I'll entertain your question. That's fine. But I am privileged to be able to describe that those men that received the Medal of Honor. That's not something you win. You are are awarded. That's true. And I'm privileged to do that. Okay, I'll shut up and entertain. No, your that's question. fine. I've I've heard the story that you told about your father and your stepfather several times on there uh, mm-hmm. for the Medal of Honor, and it's I, I enjoy listening to it. Um, I just wanted to see what your favorite lake was that you love to fish the most, and you know what what's your favorite type of fish that you love to fish for the most. Well, uh, my favorite lake because of its because of its history. I started fishing Lake Lanier in 1957 with my friend and his dad that took me to the lake. And I it's kind of funny uh, for you guys that uh, are familiar with Lake Lanier and how many people go there. I can remember saying to my friend on a Sunday afternoon at Lake Lanier, saying, "Oh, look, there's another boat." <laughs> so, Said that yeah. a few times yeah, myself. Back, oh yeah. <laughs> Right. So, yeah, we started fishing the lake in 1957. Uh, my good friend Jeff Hobbins and I were both 13 years old, and he would take us there. My favorite fish, uh, you know, it's always going to be a largemouth. Uh, 
uh, I, I really do enjoy saltwater fishing now, but freshwater, it's got to be a largemouth because you, you catch them deep, shallow, moving baits, spinner baits, topwater baits, plastic worms, live bait, dead bait. You catch him so many different ways year-round. He's got to be your favorite. Yeah, he is. He's definitely one of mine, but those uh, Lake Lanier spotted bass are also they're, they're fun Oh, man, yeah, boy. Oh, you bet. Well, you you guys are too, too young to remember. I was in the uh, – there was an organization in the late – let's see, was it the late 70s. Okay, the late 70s called the, the – uh, Georgia Bass Anglers, and it was a 10-tournament trail, and it's a bunch of good fishermen, and usually in every tournament over a 10-month period of time and 10 tournaments, there were like 100 to 140 boats in every tournament. That's crazy. And so all of them were, uh, you know, Altoona and Lanier and around, you know, relatively close by, and I won that championship in 19. 79 i believe i was the, the the points leader okay and that required me to do an awful lot of fish west point oh man could i catch them at west point <laughs> but the point being here that i'm trying to get to is that at lanier during the georgia bass anglers tournaments you could catch at least 10 i think you could weigh 10 or 12 i've forgotten let's say 10 you could weigh 10 fish okay if you back then, if you had ten spots, that weighed twelve pounds. <laughs> right. That was before they got the big ones up there. Yeah, that was before they put in the blueback herring. Right. And the bluebacks, you know, that was a mistake. The Georgia DNR didn't do that on purpose. Really? Yeah. You know that. All right. I'll give you the background. You ready? Yeah. Absolutely. Yes, all right, when they put stripers in Lake Lanier, I think in 1974, 1976, then what many anglers would do, they would go to the uh, to the Savannah River. They would go to Lake Hartwell or, or on, the, on the river over there, and they would net blueback herring. And blueback herring are, are a lot sturdier and a lot more lively and more... Uh, uh, they last a lot longer than, than threadfin do. Yes, so sir. fishermen would net these guys, fill up their bait tanks, then go to Lake Lanier and use blueback herring for bait. Hmm. And so at the end of the day, they would either empty their live wells or, or they would get off and so on. And that's what gave fruition and put blueback herring into Lake Lanier. So that the blueback herring shares the same water temperature as spotted bass. So finally, the spotted bass had something to eat. Yes, sir. <laughs> That's crazy. So now, what what's a what's a five fish limit of spots now at Lanier for you to win the tournament? That's easy. 20, Eight, Eighteen to twenty one pounds, easy. I would say so too. About you got about a four pound average. Back then, it was one pound average. <laughs> Which is what a lot of the lakes are around, you know, Georgia. Altoona, for example, you go there, you you have a five fish limit of spots, and you've got six six and a half pound stops. That's exactly right. I know I fished a tournament one time during that year. That uh, the year after I won that championship, I I went to I was in a tournament at Altoona. I call it the Dead Sea, and uh, I caught fifty one fish that day, and I weighed one. 
<laughs> Holy crap. 51, 50 throwbacks. <laughs> That's Holy great, crap. isn't it? <laughs> that is. That's crazy. Um, what kind of a boat would be the, the ideal boat that you like? No, what kind of boat were you fishing with in 1976? Oh, yeah. oh my goodness. Probably a Procraft. Wooden hull, I guess. Uh, that would be a wooden transom boat then. Yeah. yeah Not quite a wooden hull. <laughs> or an ast- it could have been an astroglass. Okay. Some, something like that, a Procraft, Procraft or an astroglass. Same, same boat, well, basically, with a different name well, on the side. Would that still have the uh, the trolling motor that's all the time on, like you were talking about the other night, that if oh. you just hit the button and it's on <laughs> constantly and you have to uh, Yeah, it? as a matter of fact, prior to that, and I'll correct myself, prior to that, I probably was fishing in a 14-foot, uh, oh, my goodness, uh, what is the name of that boat? My brain is gone. 14 foot with 115 uh, horsepower uh, Merc on it. Uh, you, you said a 14 footer with a with a 115. I think, a, I think that I think that thing was 14 or 15. It, uh, you know, I, I might correct myself. That might have been a 16 foot Hydrosport. Even still, at that length, you're moving on down the water. Oh man, I'm telling you, I was in a tournament one time. You know, back then, years ago, we used to we used to draw our partners. You know, you didn't fish a partner, and you couldn't fish by yourself. You had to draw a partner. And I was in a tournament at Lanier. Man, it was cold. And the headquarters was Ball Ridge Marina. Yep. And it was, it was wind was blowing. It was cold. There wasn't a cloud in the sky. And I drew a fella, nice guy. And, and I went, we fired off, and I went, went out. Uh, I was going to fish up the river, and I went out Ball Ridge Creek and turned left to go up the lake. And it was just wild. It was just, you know, splashing and just water everywhere. And I slowed down at the mouth of Six Mile, and I looked over to the guy at a back then uh, uh, a hydrosport. You didn't sit side by side. The partner sat kind of at an angle behind you. Okay, all right. And I can remember I slowed down for some reason up at the mouth of Six Mile, and I looked back, he was covered in ice. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it does froze him out. He didn't complain, and he fished all day. (laughs) Oh, that is a dedicated fisherman. That is a dedicated fisherman right there. there. What's your? That's funny. Give us your. I want to know what you think. I'm not a fisherman by no means. I I like to go catch some crappie and some trout from time to time, O'Neill. But what do you think about Altoona? You got any hot spots over here you like? Uh, I never have developed any hot spots. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody has. (laughs) Uh, The only thing I know of to do at Altoona is when the dogwoods are blooming, go up the river and catch white bass. Amen. Amen. You better be careful running up that Etowah. You'll have you, yourself a, a, a bank trip because you're going to have your boat grounded somewhere. You bet. It, it gets shallow fast. So take me, you know, take me back, O'Neill. I, I know you've you've had amazing uh, history with all the guests and stuff that you've had on, and I'm not going to ask you to pick just one, and I'm not going to ask you to pick somebody as an influencer on you in the industry, but take me back to when you first got started, you know, in, in with your TV show. Who was the biggest influencer in the industry at that time that you looked up to? Uh, okay, it'll be some. It'll be someone that uh, that you never heard of. Uh, back then, I had a good friend. His name was Frank Carter, okay. and he had a company called the Frank Carter Company. 
and he was the manufacturer's representative for Strenline, Jelly Worms, Zebco, and all the big names in the business. Okay. And when I got started in television, if it were not for him carrying me and influencing those people to sponsor my show, I would have never had one. So, Mr. Frank he, Carter. And matter of fact, matter of fact, when it was time for me to get, uh, for instance, uh, I don't, don't remember what I charged. It wasn't much. But when I got started having a sponsor for uh, for the television show, one of my sponsors was Strenline. Remember that? Yes, sir. And Stren paid Frank in line. So, he sold the line and paid me the money. Oh, wow. So I would have never had a television show because, let me tell you something. You have a television show back then, certainly, and now also. Uh, somebody's got to pay the bills. Yes, sir. Somebody's got to pay, you know, back then. Right now, you can be on television and be on uh, video on demand networks, and you can be in front of millions of people for nothing, free. <laughs> yep. Back then, you had to pay your way. I can remember, uh, you know, and I'm still on there, it's Fox Sports. Yep. Okay. I pay them now to be on the air. I pay them nothing. Back in the mid-'80s, I paid them $350,000 a year to be on the air. Good Lord. In the mid-'80s? Yes. yes. That's a chunk of change to come up with in the mid-'80s. You bet. You bet. And, you know, but now, here, here's the reason why. You had to have sponsors. You had to have a lot of them. For instance, okay, my camera in nineteen in the mid eighties, my camera cost thirty five thousand dollars, and it was a VHS and the, editing, it, and the editing equipment with someone to edit it, which I didn't know how. Someone to edit the editing gear cost one hundred twenty thousand dollars. Oh my goodness! Now you can get a really good camera for two thousand, and you can edit your show on your laptop. Yes, sir. My, how the times so have to changed. to produce a show now, piece of cake, nothing to it. So what? But do you think the contents went went off with that, uh, O'Neill? You know, as far as and, and well, let me let me rephrase that. Do you feel like what people put into their shows has fell off from the from back then? Absolutely. Uh, well, well, I say absolutely. That's too emphatic. Uh, it, most of the shows, or uh, the television shows, we're talking about television shows right now. Yes, we're, sir. We're, the television shows still, regretfully, to me, and I'm a snob, when you watch a fishing show, when it's over, and you've watched that show, if the show meets my expectations, you should say, you know, I've got to give that a try, or I've got to go there, or I've got to hire that guide, or I've got to remember to do that next time, or the next time the wind's blowing out of the east and there's no clouds in the sky, I've got to remember to do that. If you say instead, man, I love that fisherman, he's great, that's not the response you need from the show. 
you're not learning anything anymore. Exactly. That instant that's gratification why, thing is what people... That's what are. I've always thought. You need to learn something or be encouraged to learn that and more or be encouraged to turkey hunt in the right fashion, not wear the right clothes. Amen. Amen. That's what we were just talking about earlier, O'Neill. Just it, it doesn't take... It doesn't take the right call, and, and just like you talked about last night, your buddy said he would call three times and you know and, and be quiet, and the turkeys would come. You know, and people get this conception that they got to overcall, and there's just so many factors into it. But if you learn something from something, or you take something out of anything that you do in life, I think that I think that goes right along with what you're saying. You know, it, well, especially turkey hunting and deer hunting. Uh, those that's an individual task. You're not hunting with a group of people. You're not walking along, uh, uh, you know, behind the dogs, uh, flushing quail. Right. That's a partnership. Okay. And it's wonderful. Don't get me wrong. It's wonderful, especially if you've got your son or grandson or granddaughter with you. But turkey hunting and deer hunting, that's individuals. That's an individual thing to do. It's kind of like fly fishing. You don't you don't stand right next to somebody and go fly fishing. It's an individual effort. That's right. And you carry those individual efforts, and that's why if you watch television, if you are entertained and you are, and you learn something from it, then I think it's a perfect perfect match. I've always you know I've always let's put it this way. The big guys, to me, the big three are Bill Dance, Roland Martin, and Jimmy Houston. That's, that's a pretty yeah, big that's, three. That's a good lineup. Yeah, those guys, and especially Bill, fantastic energy level, and you learn something by from Bill about fishing. You do. And I know I have called him – I called him on an occasion about a trip that I was going to take or that I did take, and he had taken the same trip. I hope you'll enjoy this. He had taken the same trip with the same guy that I had just come back from, and my trip failed because we were fishing for speckled trout down off the Louisiana coast, and we we flew out there, and when we got there, the whole bay was full of great big giant Jack Crevel. And we we didn't catch a single fish. We hooked one every cast. They were all about 40 pounds, and they would spool <laughs> you and break the line. Right. I never caught a single fish. So I called Bill and said, hey, listen, this is what happened. Will you send me some footage so I can showcase that fishing trip with that guide? a fellow by the name of Tofio Bouchois. And Bill said, quote, if it helps you, I'll send whatever you need. So let me ask you something on that, O'Neill. You you made mention mm-hmm. of Mr. Tofio Bouchois, and I, you probably know the story on this a little better than I. But did Tofield not come up with, and he spells it, how's your Tofield, if I'm remembering correctly, thinking back on some old some old shows, mm-hmm. did he not come up with a knot 
that's now known as something else in the in the fishing industry? I, I, do, I, I wish I could respond properly. I do not know that. The polymer knot, from what I understand, Tofield was the one that came up with that. Now, I don't know that that's 100% true. That's just what I've always been told. Well, you know, it's better to lie about it than it is to <laughs> tell the truth. I agree. I, agree. I, I know, I know, uh, or I have known, you know, he's deceased now. Yes, sir. Tofield, you know, died in a plane crash. Uh, and I've known him for, I don't know, 10 or 12 years. I fished with him over a 10 or 12 year span. I probably would know that if that were true. Okay. Well, that that was that was an old one of those old fisherman tales that I always heard. That that you know. Right. Yeah. Well, fishermen love to tell tales. You know what his name was? No, sir. His name is is Theophilus Jean Antoine Bouchois the <laughs> Third. That's a mouthful. <laughs> yeah, he's a coon ass man. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> Oh, that is Man. that is amazing. So, you know, going down to the, the Louisiana coast and fishing was was that some of your you know your fondest memories of going to the to the saltwater and fishing, or where else would uh, ab- have been? Absolutely, uh, I would have. You know, I haven't been to all the the the, uh, the inshore saltwater fishing places in the country. Obviously not. But in my judgment, of the ones that I've fished all down the Carolina coast, the Georgia coast, Florida coast, the Florida Panhandle. That, that little tip of Alabama there and all the way through to Texas, I would tell you that the, with good reason, and I'll tell you the reasons why, that the Louisiana coast is the best salt inshore saltwater fishing on the coast of the United States. Why, you ask? <laughs> because for the last 65 million years, the Mississippi River's been dumping fertilizer down there, and so... It, the, it's what it's called is the Chafalaya Basin that runs next to the Mississippi River. The basin is 30 miles wide and it's 90 miles long. It's stained, it's fertile, and it's six feet deep and it's full of billions of fish. There's no better inshore saltwater fishing in the world than fishing there. It's very nutrient rich. Down oh, in, that area, man. in the Delta. So we got. I, I guarantee. Or for instance, here here's a little tip. Okay, if you guys know what's the, the what's the limit on speckled trout on the Georgia and Florida coast per I, person? I couldn't tell you. Five, have, maybe five. I have no idea. I've I've never five, been there. Speckled may be a trout. slot on them in Georgia. I'm not sure, but could be two. It's, could it's be five. probably five. Five twelve inch speckled trout. For that whole area, and here is the limit for the Chafalaya Basin. Ready? Yep. Twenty-five. Twenty-five. Right. So, when you go to Cajun Vista Lodge and fish with, stay there at the lodge and fish with those guides, and you go out with three people in the guide or four people in the guide. When you come back in after lunch, you have one. You have twenty five trout per person. Golly, you got a so you sack bring full in, of fish. You got four. If you got four people in the boat, you bring in a hundred. <laughs> how's them, how's them things fry up, O'Neill? Oh yeah, man. They good. Get some good old hush puppies and slaw. Don't get started on food yet. Now we oh, got know, to that segment. Goodness gracious! <laughs> hey, hey O'Neill, I want to ask you one thing real quick, if I can. 
talking about sure. how the if you watch the shows and what you take from the show, um, and those guys that you mentioned are great guys, and I love watching their show. Another thing that I've noticed here lately is getting on these forums on Lake Lanier. Those guys are not scared to say, hey, we caught we caught 15 today, or hey, we caught 30 today, and hey, this is what we used. All these people that, like myself, I'm a weekend warrior. You know, it's it, we've been in the 60s here. I want to try to go tomorrow evening just because it feels like spring. The water temperature is mm-hmm. not where it needs to be, but I just want to go to get out of the house. And those guys, from looking at those forums, and if you join them, everybody will help you and help you out. If those some of those guys are retired guys, they're there two or three times uh, uh, through two or three times through the week, and that's one of the best things I've seen. If you have any questions for graphs or electronics, and that's come a long way now. You know they've got the live scope now and all this. Those those things are just tools for you to have. Don't get me oh, wrong. Oh, absolutely. You, you do not have to have them to go out there and be a weekend warrior like myself. And, and look at those things and read what those guys said they're doing. And if the conditions are the same, just try to just try to imitate those patterns that those guys are doing. Those guys will be they're 100% there to help you go out there on the weekend or when you can, whenever you're off, whenever you can go and help you catch more fish. You can ask any of those guys on those forums, uh, on, on the Facebook platform, that, and they're 100% will tell you, you know, hey, do this, go over here. They're not scared to to share a spot with you or to tell you where to go or to, just to give you a general area to where to go. And that, one of those things is really, I've noticed a lot that's that'll help somebody that can only get out there on Saturday or can only get out there whenever they can. And if you can, if you can help them guys out, they may have a kid go with them or whatever. And everybody sure. always wants to catch fish. So, absolutely. Hey, there's plenty of fish to go around. That's true. And I think the competitive spirit that's been, you know, I guess it's been spawned in the, the social media and everything that's came about in the last, let's just say, 10 years, O'Neill. it's kind of hurt the sport a little bit, hasn't it? Well, it's taken a little bit of the, of, how shall I say, the, the, the homeliness out of it. Took, uh, took the sportsmanship it, you know, out of it. We're always trying to compete, but, of course, that's, that's the American way of life. I mean, mm-hmm. we're the most competitive people in the world, maybe other than the German population. Who was the most competitive fisherman that you knew out of the, the main, you know, you named three of the biggest there. Who was the most competitive? Was Bill probably one of the most competitive? Uh, probably, to me, the most competitive one. That And and I've and I, I fished just a little bit with Bill. I've never fished with Jimmy. I've never fished with Roland. But I did fish with Rick Clunn. The the hammer. Uh, he still he still, <laughs> still hammer. Him. We know that for a fact. You bet, you bet. And uh, I learned a lot from him that day. Here's a great tip. May I do this? Absolutely. Okay. It was it was springtime. It was a tournament at Lanier, and uh, he he drove in from Texas, and it was a draw tournament, and he drew me. And he said, have you got some fish located? And I said, yes, I do, up the Chester T River. And we went up there, and we were using buzz bait, and he taught me the following. If you're using a buzz bait, and you get a blow-up, you know, and a lot of times we, you know, that we'll miss a, a fish with a buzz bait, okay? He doesn't get it, okay? You have a plastic worm available to throw right in, right on top of it. You'll catch him almost every time. 
Oh, my goodness. It is like sitting and looking into a mirror across the table. You saying that, um, O'Neill. When I first started going fishing on a big lake, I watched my cousin sitting across from me over here. We were fishing spooks uh-huh. on a point, and I watched a fish uh-huh. in 60 foot of water, probably over a brush top, come up and miss that spook. And he picked right. up a jig, and he said, I'm fixing to catch that fish. And he threw out there, and when he caught it, he got it in, and he said, I learned that. And I don't know who he said then who he learned it from, and it may have been one of those old clun videos that got it. But that is that is awesome to hear you say that. That is, I wrote yeah, it down. I wrote it down right here for them boys and circled it and showed it to them on Neil before you before you said the answer. <laughs> and, and you know, and one of the fine tuning things of that, okay? You get a blow up, you get a blow up on your you know, on your buzz bait. Don't bother to reel it in. Just put that rod down and throw that plastic worm right back on it. Right. I mean, what purpose does it serve for you to reel that buzz bait up? You're just wasting time at that point. That's right. Exactly. Throw that worm right back in on top of it. But here is one of the tuning uh, forks, if you will, about buzzbait fishing. And I got I got schooled on this, okay? I was in a tournament 1981 in Clark's Hill, and I drew a guy that lived in Augusta. Nice guy. You know, nice fella. He drew, we drew, and I had fish located. And so, and my fish were on a buzz bait. And he said, oh, yeah, that's a good place for buzz baits. There's a big flat, a big brushy flat in a little river. And he beat me that day because he turned his trailer hook down. That's the way I run my mine. My trailer run hook mine was down. turned yeah. up. Mm-hmm. I'll run mine every up, time yeah. I'd get a bow up, I wouldn't catch him, but he never missed one. That's a and about after about eleven o'clock, I said, "Quite frankly, can I can I use what language I want to use, fellas?" <laughs> yeah, go, <laughs> go ahead. I go said, ahead. What the, I said, "What the hell are you doing?" <laughs> it took you. And, and it took you to eleven o'clock. And he made a believer out of me. Now I'm telling you, it took you to eleven o'clock, O'Neill. Well, I didn't want you know. <laughs> Yeah, it took me till eleven o'clock. Yeah, I'm ashamed to say. You kind of like me, I just thought he was just better than me, and he was. So, I, he finished. Uh, let's see, he finished eighth, and I finished eleventh out of a hundred boats. What wow. else you got up your sleeve, O'Neill, on a couple bass fishing tricks or crappy fishing tricks? Uh, oh, all right, here's a good one. Ready? Yes, sir. Deep, deep water bass fishing on Alatoona or whatever, just wherever. Because remember. Uh, fish don't know where they live, okay? They don't act differently on different lakes. They always react the same given the water temperature, the water acidity, the current, the time of day, the light penetration, and so on. They don't know where they live. All right, you're deep, you're deep water fishing with a plastic worm in a brush or a tree. Ready? Yes, sir. You hook up. You feel him, and he gets off. What do you do? I would reel in what and throw the, back down there. What does a normal fisherman do? <laughs> reel in and throw back. Right. You don't need to reel up. There's. You Think about it for a second. Is that bass likely alone? No. Or was he with several others, but he's the one who bit? That's That's exactly right. 
okay? So the competition is already there, isn't it? Yes, sir. Don't reel up. Leave the worm down there. <laughs> hey. Yeah. You'll get bit again. <laughs> right. <laughs> they ain't got no hands if they bite it. It's in their mouth, right? That's exactly right. Remember the old thing? The, you know, he, he doesn't have hands. Go ahead and set the hook. He's carrying it. Well, where is he carrying it? I've had that, I've had that said to me a few times from the guy across oh, yeah, the table. Oh, yeah, you bet. You know, what's, what's the old adage about what, what makes a great spotted bass fisherman? You set the hook just before he bites. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's a, hey, we go with an old adage on uh, on our boats, O'Neill, that uh, hook sets are free. If you think you're in a rock, it might be a fish. You better get to jerking. Yeah, absolutely. I tell they you, are free indeed. I tell you what, they you, are go, free. you go down to the coast, though, and go out with some of them charters or deep sea fishing, and, and you uh, drop that line down there about 150 feet, 200 feet, and, and you get a bite and you jerk that rod – them captains will come unglued on you, and they will tell yeah. you firsthand, stop bass fishing, you're not in Georgia. <laughs> that's what the, that's, that's right. right. I did that uh, I did that one time. I had the pleasure uh, and privilege. I went to where the Columbia River enters the Pacific Ocean between Washington and Oregon. Now, the Columbia River's got a fast current, and it's a big, heavy volume of water. And I was on a on a salmon boat with a, two or three friends, and that the coast there where the Columbia River enters the Pacific, at the coast with that tide coming in and the current going out, that's where you've seen videos before where the Coast Guard rolls boats. They get in the they get in those big waves and they actually roll the boats over. It I mean it's wild, and we were going out and I'm in the in the cab. I'm in there with a wheel next to the captain, and we're going over 30-foot waves. And he looked at me, and my eyes were like saucers. And he said, just hold on, Mr. Bass Fisherman. We'll be, we'll be over this in about a mile. And sure enough, when we got out there, you don't set the hook on the salmon. He's got it. And if you set the hook, you tear it out of his mouth. Like, huh. a, like a crappy, just keep reeling. Never caught them. Mm-hmm. Oh, Neil, exactly I, got a, right. I got a couple questions coming back to Georgia and, and, and your expertise in fishing and stuff. Have you ever sure. have you ever had anybody reach you for like any uh, pond management or anything like that, or have you ever helped with that? Uh, no, I haven't. It's just it's anything that I know about that is secondhand. Yeah, I I am I am. Uh, how shall I say? Uh, I'm a simpleton. I draw everything down to simple, okay? Yeah. You have to manage a pond like you do your front yard. You have to weed it. Right. You have to fertilize it. You have to cut the grass, and you have to manage it. You have to do the same thing with a pond. Right. I did learn from an expert one time that it's impossible to have a big brim pond and a big uh, bass pond. can't be the same pond. Okay. I was just kind of, it just kind of came other. to me, and I, I thought you might have messed with a little bit of that. And and now that you say you've traveled out of state for fishing and stuff, have you done much? I'm gonna go back to turkey hunting for a minute. Have you done much turkey hunting out of state? And do you have a favorite state? Oh well, uh, the favorite bird. Uh, yes, I've I've hunted all over. Yeah, uh, from Montana to Texas and Oklahoma and and Canada and everywhere, but. The favorite bird, and I think he is the the number 
far as I'm concerned, the number one big game animal in North America because of what you have to know and what you have to do is the eastern wild turkey. Okay. I've heard that. Because you have to be camoed. There's no other animal that fits all of this together. Ready? Yep. You have to be perfectly camoed, number one. You You cannot move. You absolutely cannot move, or the hunt is over. Okay, right. that's true. Number three, you you call and you get a response. Ducks will, you know, call back to you, but you're not having a conversation with a duck, but you are with a turkey. <laughs> that's true. Okay. Yeah. Shot placement. You just don't shoot at the turkey. You shoot at a specific spot on that turkey. Or you just hit him in the body, he'll fly away, and he'll die later on. And then finally, you by you calling and getting him to come to you, you're taking him out of his normal activity. Because normally, he gobbles and the hens go to him. Yep. So you've got to talk him into coming over to see you instead. There's no other, I don't care if it's bear, elk, mule deer, whitetail, Hogs, I don't care what it is, there's no other animal in North America that you can hunt that you have to do all those things. That makes a lot of sense. I've never heard it put all that way. Yeah. Enjoyed that. But, of course, you can go, believe me, you can go, you know, you guys may know my grandson, Travis. No, other, he is. Yes, uh, he was on the show with me quite a while. He had his own show called Travis Johnson Outdoors. Yes, sir. Travis is a cattleman now and a full-time guide out in Oklahoma and the Texas Panhandle. Wow. And uh he is. Yeah, he's he's out he's an outstanding hunter. Okay. We might need but to get his has, info. He's hunted out in him. the Rocky Mountains and everything, but I can tell you that the out there in out there in Texas with the uh the uh the Rio Grande turkey, you compare that to the eastern and the 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 Rio Grande will practically come out and eat out, come up and eat out of your hand. I've heard that. Yeah, that's what we've heard. I've never, I've never, I've hunted Georgia and Alabama, and, and I've never went anywhere. And we're going to try to venture to South Dakota this year. And and I was just curious if you'd been out that way or, or if you'd hunted out. Oh that yeah, way. now in South Dakota. Now I don't know where. I don't think you'll be hunting the Rio. No, it's a Merriam up in the Black Hills. Yeah, Mer- the same thing. Yeah. They'll eat out of your hand. You call once, and they'll so. run over. <laughs> they'll they'll run over two or three gobblers and fan out and stop and say, "Shoot me!" <laughs> That's what you he's know, hoping shoot, for. Here, so, here, yeah. Here's my buddy. Shoot him too. You know? <laughs> uh, uh, but funny. the eastern the easterns will uh, hurt your feelings and make your lips pooch out. I'm well, telling you that that's one of the that's one of the main reasons I love turkey hunting is because. Um, when you're calling, like you said, to a, to a gobbler, you're going against Mother Nature when you get that Absolutely. gobbler to come to you, and that's one of my most favorite things about hunting turkey. So it was, it was cool you to hear bet. you say and that. It, to me, that, over, that simplification points out the following. Patience kills turkeys. I've always compared turkey hunting to trying to get a girlfriend or something. if you you just have the patience and and let them come to you and and don't blow them up 
They'll usually come on over there eventually. They'll get the curiosity. will get them till that big gobbler over the hill comes and takes her away yeah. from you. Yeah, you gotta be careful. There you go. I'm gonna leave all that alone. <laughs> we won't cross that one. But oh, now I got a couple no, more no, questions I'm... for you as we're you know we're getting towards the end here. And I, I know okay. I know Miss Gail's up there. She's got you some pork chops ready. So, um, go ahead. Um, okay. Tell us something. Tell us something that you could pass along to a youngster or an adult that you've learned along the way that they that they could that you might have made a regret doing or that you want to inspire someone to do. Oh my goodness! Uh, I don't know. Uh, I would just say if if you are uh, an adult uh, and an outdoorsman, uh, if you pass up an opportunity to take a youngster, then shame on you. Yeah. Uh, and especially with the, the the divorce rate in this country now, I guarantee you the people that are going to listen to this podcast that are fishermen and hunters, they live in a neighborhood and their children, their youngsters in that neighborhood who dad does not live at home. Probably so. I, I know it broke my heart one time. I, I, I went to a middle school. The principal was an outdoorsman and he invited me to come in and uh, to have a fishing class for people early, like 7.30 in the morning. And I went into this classroom, and it was standing room only. And we were talking about fishing and sharing stories and, and encouragement and so forth. And, and uh, uh, we, well, I'll shorten the story. There were a couple of uh, kids in there, fine-looking young, young people, and they admitted to me in that, that they had – they were probably, well, they were, it was middle school, so what, they were 10, 12 years old? 12. They had never been fishing in their lives. Think about that. They had never been fishing in their lives. That's crazy to think what about. Shame. So basically just, yeah. just get them out there and, and, and reach out to someone. We've had some previous people on that's kind of said the same thing, O'Neill. And I always I always ask this as I'm trying to close it out. And Alex will close it out here in just a second. But as I as I close okay. it out, I always ask something that you're thankful for, and just yeah, just tell us something you're thankful for. Uh, well, in my case, it's it's it, what I'm thankful for is more than just outdoor involvement. Uh, in my case, I'm thankful for parents who insisted and encouraged me to be my best. Whether I was pre-med at Emory uh, or whether it be on the baseball field, I was the goalie at Emory uh, in soccer, uh, you, you name it. And then with fishing, I was always encouraged to be my best, to never be satisfied with a lack of effort. I I, I can't tolerate that. And so I guess that's my best blessing in life with what they told me. I mean, after all, when I graduated from from high school, I was the only person that was going to Emory in the whole school. Mm-hmm. No one else went to Emory. I think one other guy went to Tech, but that was it. Wow. And I went to Emory because they insisted on it you're going to go to emory when you graduate from high school and that stuck with me it it permeates my life well that's awesome o'neill 
O'Neill, I really do appreciate you coming on to the podcast. I appreciate you taking my response on on an email and and being willing to come on here. You know, to set set it. An afternoon aside away from your wife and be able to do this for us. And, and that just makes us going back to what you were talking about, putting this, you know, you showing up down there at that radio station wanting to get a spot. That makes us more to put more drive into wanting us to reach out to people and to thank people like yourself because you went through those trying times and for us to be able to reach out to you for you to come on. So I, I want to well thank put, you. Well, you well put and your thanks is, uh, is much appreciated, and it reminds me of what of what I told you earlier from Bill Dan. Ready? Yes, sir. If this helps you, then I'll do it. Thank you. That's awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. So, Derek, you got anything else you want before we close out here? I don't. I just want to say that it's been an honor to be here and talk to you, you know, like this and – I'll always continue to uh, listen on the morning to Lanier. I mean, that's one of my, that's one of the things I have it on, and I'll just I'll keep listening and keep tuning in. Cody, good deal. I'm 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 flattered with all of your wonderful comments. Uh, good luck to you all. You guys are doing great. Yeah, and just as Dick said, you know, I just want to thank you for taking time out of your um you know your personal evening to come on and, and speak with us. That was uh, it's much appreciated, and we really we really did enjoy it. Uh, it's my pleasure, 100%. O'Neill, as I said at the beginning of the show, you know, it's it's uh, there's a lot of young and, and up-and-coming a- a- outdoorsmen that could definitely benefit from hearing from someone that's been such a legend in the, uh, the entertainment industry. And when I say that, listening to you on the radio as a kid, that was our entertainment. You know, we're, we're in our mid-30s, and, and the radio played a crucial role in, in our lives with our dads and grandpas and whoever it may be. Wonderful. And we're hoping to get more of a more of a drive out of you for for the future, and hopefully we can get you back on sometime because I know you guys have got a podcast you're driving out, and uh, we definitely have been tuning into that. And with the recorded broadcast, if you don't catch it, you can catch it on your Facebook feed on a, on a recorded session there, and that's that's awesome to hear. Um, you as bet. you went well, through, we'll, uh, we'll be advising everybody of the recordings in today's show. That we did with, uh, I did it today with Milton Crabapple. So that was a that was a laughathon. <laughs> well, I guarantee you, it I was a laughathon. Yeah, I guarantee you. And those those guys reaching out to you definitely knew or out to us to ask about Milton. They definitely. But before I let you go, I've got okay. to ask, and I'm gonna go. hit I'm gonna hit this with a what we like to call a pump your brakes moment. <laughs> brought to you by okay. Southeast Wildlife Innovations. What is your favorite big Big green egg recipe that you have. I gotta ask before I let you go. Uh, my favorite big green egg recipe is a Boston butt cooked for eighteen hours. Okay. Just you don't have to do much to it. Just put some Goya sauce on there, and uh, just be patient. Put it at put it at two hundred degrees for eighteen hours. <laughs> well, that's and, uh, that's definitely going to appease a lot of our listeners because that's simple. And we're just simple people like anybody else, and uh, we, you know, we definitely appreciate you coming on here and being with us as as anybody in the state of Georgia and the surrounding states. The eight hundred thousand listeners that listen to you on a weekly basis, we want to thank scary, you as one of. Them. Well, it may be scary, but it's awful humbling to have somebody that you know. We we get an average of two to three hundred listeners in a week, so. From a bunch of good old boys here in North Georgia, just like you are, we can't thank you enough. It's been a very humbling evening, and, and we definitely appreciate it. It's, it's a 
my pleasure, hundred percent. Good luck to you all. Yes, sir. We'll be in touch soon. Thank you very much. Thank you, you Mr. O'Neill. Good evening. Bye bye. Hey, just like he always says about Saturday morning. What does he say about Saturday morning? It's an untouched Saturday morning to make the best of it. Yeah. And just like he always ends his shows, he goes into stories and things like that, whether it's a live session, whether it's a, you know, a, a discussion of his past. And he always is appreciative to people that he is thankful for. Doesn't matter what walk of life they came from. Just like he talked about Frank. We'd never, I'd never heard of him. No. But that old guy took a chance on him, you know, and he sold fishing line. I mean, that's cool. I mean, he sold fishing line to, to pay, pay him to yeah. pay for this. Pay for him, yeah. And he paid his way and he paved a way for him, you know. And I guess that perseverance, I mean, there's a drive with the man. You can see it in his eyes and anything he does. But you know, one thing you always notice about him in every picture, I don't care where you find him on the internet, what's he always doing in all his pictures? Smiling. Absolutely. Yep. And that's something I, you know, we, we've talked about a lot. Just be a little more happy. Everybody likes to mean mug and try to be a big bad A or whatever when they're trying to take a picture. Smile. That's right. Ain't nothing wrong with smiling. Smile as you go. They were smiling when they went, you know, 10, 15 years ago or 20, 30, 40 years ago when they was taking pictures. Kick it back up and smile a little bit because I guarantee you it'll get with somebody out there, you know, and it'll resonate with them. Hey, he's happy to be doing this. Don't try to put so much of that, you know, I guess I'm a I'm a bad A in in everything I do. Or negative energy into something. Yeah, and, you know. And if you can help somebody, that was kind of his saying. Yeah. If this helps you. Just like he said Bill Dance yeah, said. if this helps you. I'll do it. Yeah, I'll do it. Yeah, anything. He's willing to stick his neck out. Don't be afraid to help somebody out there if they need help. Well, as it as it, as it went through it, you know. Speaking he's, of that, I got some furniture upstairs. We got to move, boy. <laughs> <laughs> Shoo, look at the time, D. We going? To get, well, Derek's here with us. We can definitely move some furniture. So, I mean, it's been it's been a definitely a, a fun evening to listen to somebody that's had such a prevalent effect on not only you know. There's kids today that'll never knew, know who O'Neill Williams is, no. and that's sad. It is. I mean, there's grown folk that don't know who he is. I mean, simple put, we know we know several of them yeah. that have never even heard of him. But that's sad because he brings a positive light and energy to everything he does. He doesn't try to put on. He's O'Neill. That's right. Simply put, he's O'Neill. He likes to fish. He likes to hunt. He loves his wife. He loves his life. And he's always there to be appreciative in everything he does. That's you right. heard him. Everything he gave, you know, he said he was a great guy. That guy that was freezing on the back, the back of a bass boat. <laughs> that was a great story. Covered in ice. And we could sit and talk with him and hear stories from his past. I mean, he has had a storied career in the industry. Yeah, an hour wasn't near long enough for him. I mean, it wasn't. But the simple fact that he agreed to come on here. Exactly. That meant the world. I know it did to you when you called me and you, you said, oh, Neil Williams is willing to come on the show. I was like, what? Yeah. You know, to me, there's no bigger name in radio. There is no bigger name than radio. I mean, in no. radio, something that's fading with the times with all the social media and all the platforms we have to drive stuff on. But I'm glad to see them doing a podcast for themselves and starting to record the shows and putting them out there on the social media because I'm sure he's lost some of his listeners as the years go. There ain't too many people getting up at 4 o'clock in the morning. No, no, but they do They do the Facebook Live, you know. But go follow him on O'Neill Outside. Yeah, if follow you're not following him on, follow him, uh, on any social because media. Because we, we didn't let him pitch that, so. Well, I, I know his, I know his uh, social media manager will probably be more than happy to do that for him, and we'll sure. find out sure. who that is, and we'll tag him in all the posts. So. That's right. 
Um, it's been a pleasure having you here with us tonight, Derek. I know it, that I know it meant a lot to you to get on with O'Neill. You probably listened to him as much as anybody out there, and uh, you know he named names in the industry with Bill Dance and, and Roland. That hey, we've talked about them for years. The Rick Clond. I mean, that was crazy. That's crazy. You know the one, the one story, and I got to get this in here about Rick Clund was when he was down there on the St. Johns River, and. He won that mm-hmm. with a sack, son, sitting yep. on one spot, yep. and then went back one year later and did it again in nearly the same spot. And with probably the same spinnerbait. Yeah, I mean, I guarantee you. Throwing to that same ripple in the current, and it just it just goes to show you, you know, dance with the lady that brung you. Because I remember Rick Clun talking about that. He'd flip it up there in that current, and he'd get it done. And, you know, he's not that big of a turkey hunter, but he went through a very uh, good rendition of uh, why the eastern bird is the hardest to kill. I mean, he talked to you about it. So that was – that was neat to to hear from somebody like that. And we'll so, get we'll get O'Neill back on here. I think so. I think oh, yeah. he enjoyed it, and I hope he did. And where do these Where do these bass start firing up? Oh gosh, he'll be he'll be on. We we'll have to call him in the morning. You have to call him in the morning into the show, Derek. Say, hey, I just talked to you on talk about it outdoors. You know, I heard I from you on there. I mean, that was great. So, uh, Cody, you got anything? Nope. It was just exciting to have him on and you know hear him hit on different points. Um, uh, definitely listen to what he said about uh turkey hunting resonated with me the most so but that was a good time for sure what is going on with your hair it was like a bow waggle you got a bow waggle oh god here we go what is a bow waggle if you didn't catch that on the previous episode we uh one of our uh, illustrious members of the team had a uh a moment where he said a bow waggle and uh for anybody out there that doesn't know what a bow waggle is, I ain't going to tell you tonight. You just going to figure it out for yourself. <laughs> so, Derek, anything you want to say before we close it out? Nothing. I appreciate it. I'm glad to be here. I enjoyed it. Yeah, absolutely. Nick, you know what I didn't ask you? How was your How day? How was your day? Oh, my day has been fantastic. O'Neill coming out, how could it be a bad day? Maybe I need to start asking you at the end because you're a lot more jovial at the end of these than at the front. Hey, man, it's been fun. It's yeah. been fun. It's been real fun. <laughs> well, as I said earlier on in the show, we appreciate O'Neill coming on. It's been a privilege and a pleasure. It's almost been a, an honor, I will say that. And as I told him, growing up in the South, anybody that grew up listening to him, you had a great childhood, and I promise you, there is so many people out there that are going to hear that name, O'Neill Williams, and it resonates through so many households. And it, you know, some of the older guys we listen to, they're going to tune in just for this episode. And we appreciate y'all just as much as anybody tuning in. I mean, we want to hear from you. The guys that gave the questions early on, we got a pump your brakes your moment in there. We got you shooting your straight questions in. The man is a great, he's a legend. And we can't thank him enough for coming on. So we're headed we're headed down that river on that boat with O'Neill right now. We're about to get off and hunt some turkeys. Yes, Here sir. we come. Y'all stay tuned. <laughs> y'all, y'all. Because uh, I ain't gonna drop his name, but one of the absolute hottest names in the sport of turkey hunting is the, coming on. The the man. I, I want to say it so bad. I want to say it so bad, but I'm not going to. Y'all going to have to tune into the next episode. And if you do, it'll be a privilege. Uh, it'll, oh, well, it'll probably be the first episode where I don't talk that much. You may not even show up. Of course, between now and then, I promise you, I'll think of something to say. Oh, yeah. Because what oh, yeah. I always say, if I can't baffle you or brilliance, I'll bedazzle you with bull crap. There you go. <laughs> yeah, that's it. For everybody over at Talk About It Outdoors, we thank you for tuning in. We'll be back in just a little bit. 
with some of the biggest and hottest names. We got some fun stuff dropping. If you've seen it, go and share it. We got the partnership with SWI, the giveaway for them. It's a great package we put together. Check it out on all our social media platforms. And as always, remember to smile as you go, and don't forget, mount the memories.